Welcome to Parent Talk Podcast, the podcast for busy parents, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks to make parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now here is your host, Genevieve Kyle, and co-host, Becca U. Lewis. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Season 5 of Parent Talk, everything parenting and more. I'm your host, Genevieve Kyle, mom of two, and I'm, of course, with my co-host, Becca U. Lewis. Hi, Becca. Hi, Genevieve, or Genevieves. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Becca, and the co-host of Parent Talk, and also a mom of two. We're excited for another opportunity to learn and grow with our children today. Let's welcome another wonderful guest to help us do that. Yes. So um, today, we are going to talk about how to create better listening skills with your child, which I think it's so important to talk about. I think everybody can say at one point, they wonder how to do this. And we have with us Geneviève Brabant. Uh, Geneviève is a social worker, a faculty member of the Newfelt Institute, and a mom of three children, and now a grandma of one. So hi, Geneviève, and welcome to Parent Talk Podcast. Hi, Geneviève, and hi, Becca. Lovely to meet you and to be here uh, with you again, Geneviève. Uh, I've been following Parent Talk uh, in English and in French for a few years now. I really like what you do for parents. And so I'm really happy to be here again and share the little bits of wisdom that I can share with with our our parents following us. Well, welcome. Let's do it. Let's dive into today's topic because I'm very curious about what you have to say. So first of all, why do children have a hard time listening? or following instructions? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, uh, That's a question that I get asked all the time as a practitioner and as a therapist. And when we talk about creating good listening skills in our children, uh, the question should actually be how to create good listening skills in parents. How do we listen to our children? Because when children aren't listening to us, they are in fact communicating something. So they are talking to us, they are telling us something. Um, So that's how I would like to kind of dive into this subject with you today is looking at, you know, from the parent perspective, uh, what it is that we can do. So why do children have a hard time listening to us or following instructions like put your toys away, go put on your pajama, it's time, you know, time for bed or time to close the TV? Uh, Well, This goes back to every single human being's survival instincts. Uh, And those survival instincts are linked to what we call attachment. So you know me and my attachment spiel. (laughs) Um, So essentially, as human beings, we are not meant to follow directions from those that we are not attached to. Think of baby monkey in the jungle, right? When he ventures off to play, he shouldn't automatically follow along Mr. Lion who comes about and says, hey, you want to be my friend today, baby monkey? Because if baby monkey were to listen, right, and follow those instructions, what would happen? He'd be gone. He'd be Mr. Lion's breakfast, essentially. So we are all hardwired to not listen or follow instructions to those we are not attached to. 
So that doesn't mean that when our children are not listening to us, that they're not attached to us. But what it means is that they might not be attached to us in that very moment that we are giving them that instruction. We might be giving instructions outside of the attachment context, thinking that because I'm the parent, I should tell you what to do and you should just listen to me, right? So we think that we have that, that sort of, you know, natural authority because we're the parent and they're the child. Um, so so this, this idea of, of not following instructions when we're not in that attachment mode is also known as the counter will instincts. Uh, in infants, we also call it the stranger protest, right? When the seven month old sees a stranger, they're gonna like, ooh, arch back, push away, avoid looking at them, maybe even scream and cry. In uh, uh, older children, like toddlers and preschoolers, uh, this translates into intense shyness, right? So say hi to grandma. Well, I haven't seen grandma in six months, so I don't really know grandma right now. She's not someone I'm currently attached to. So there's a lot of shyness. And there's also the good old resistance. Um, the, and the resistance can be there because... Uh, even if I am attached to mom and dad, most of the time, maybe I'm not right now. Maybe there's something else right now that has my attention uh, that is competing with my attachment to mom and dad. Maybe it's my favorite show on TV. Maybe I'm playing my favorite game. Maybe I'm having my favorite snack. But the good news is that we are also all wired with instincts to seek to be with those we are meant to be attached to. Which means that if children are invited in their parents' presence quite often throughout the day, not just once or twice, but regularly throughout the day, what's going to happen is that the brain is going to start going, okay, this is safe. It feels safe to be with uh, mom and dad. I can depend on mom and dad or the other caregivers involved. Uh, and this creates what we call a secure attachment. And when we feel secure and we are seeking to attach, then with that comes another instinct, which is the desire to please. So I want to do it because you're my mom and I like you, I love you. I want to do it because I care about you. And when we have these instincts uh, well engaged in young children, it makes our job so much easier. But the thing is we often take it for granted and we give instructions and ask them to do things without having that reciprocity activated in the moment, right? And so the answer to that is give your instructions within the context of attachment, within the context of a working relationship, right? Before telling my children in the morning to get ready for school, I'm going to take that five minutes with them to just engage them, right? Get their eyes, get them smiling, nodding, laughing, giggling, uh, making them their favorite breakfast, just engaging them in a warm connection. And then I can say, you know what, guys, it's time to go get dressed. 
right? So the idea is how can I collect those attachment instincts and collect them often enough so that when I need to direct my child, then I can direct with less resistance, with less uh, competing attachments, because now they're attached to me in that moment. Oh, you know, you know, mom was so fun this morning. Okay, okay, I'll go get ready, right? And so now we have a brain that is actually engaged in that relationship and wanting to please and wanting to do well or to do good. Uh, but like I said, the challenge is we forget. We forget, we take it for granted because we are so busy, right? It's like, let's go, time to do this, time to brush your teeth. We got to be out the door in five minutes. And we just take that for granted. So just parenting with that in mind, being intentional about collecting our children's attachment instincts, engaging them uh, often enough will really reduce that counter will instinct because they will want to please us. Now, that's not going to work all of the time. Let's be honest. We're adults and it doesn't work for us all of the time either. Uh, so just think of a time where your boss or maybe your spouse asked you to do something without collecting you first. Hmm, you weren't really wanting to do it, uh, but perhaps you did it anyway. And that's because as adults, we also have psychological maturity to help us do something even though we don't feel like it. So this is also to understand that sometimes when children have a hard time listening or following instructions, it's not because they want to give us a hard time. It's either because they are having a hard time making that switch or they're simply, they simply don't have that maturity yet to go, yeah, I kind of have to do, at, do that even if I don't feel like it right now. So understanding that it's going to take time to get there, being patient with the process, but also understanding that we need to collect those attachment instincts before we go to work and start giving instructions. Wow. Okay. So I, I'm hearing lots about attachment and that's a huge part of getting our kids to, to listen to us. It's good to know that if we, we think we got attachment and then they're still not listening, there may be other competing instincts and factors and, and stuff too. Um, well, in those moments, like what else can, do children need from us to, to listen better? Do we need to keep going? Like spend longer doing the attachment and, and gathering that attachment or what else can help? Mm -hmm. uh, well, there's a number of things that can help. Um, the one thing is, is thinking always about what children need from us, right? And what they need is, is to feel safe, uh, to feel wanted, to feel believed uh, and listened to. They need from us that big and unconditional invitation to exist in our presence. And that shouldn't be conditioned on good behavior, conditional on good behavior. So it shouldn't be, well, if you put on your shoes uh, right away next time, then I'll, I'll, you know, I'll play with you or spend time with you. It should never be conditional. So to always have that really big invitation to exist in our presence and convey that, you know, when we are handling incidents, because that's what happens. That's what parenting is all about. 
is conveying to our children that the relationship is okay. It can take it, right? The relationship is bigger than the problem. It's bigger than the incident. So I get that you really don't want to go get ready for school right now. I get that right now you would much rather watch your show. And, you know, um, I get that this is, you know, frustrating for you. Uh, so how can I help? Let me help you with that. Let's go do it together. Maybe turn it into a game, make it fun, make it about connection, getting there rather than a task or a chore uh, or something that the child simply must do because we said so. Uh, because if we do it again inside that invitation and that connection, the likelihood uh, of them actually listening will be much, much greater. Another thing is to come alongside their big feelings. I already kind of gave an example for that. Uh, you know, maybe it's frustrating. Maybe it's disappointing. Maybe, maybe it's just, you know, they're sad. They're sad that they have to, you know, go to school or go to daycare. Um, it's just coming alongside those big feelings and helping them express that. Uh, I know that part of you feels sad when we have to leave home and go to school. I get that, you know, I feel sad too. Sometimes when I have to go somewhere, I don't really feel like going. Um, so just helping them put words to what is happening uh, for them in that moment. It doesn't mean that we're letting them win. It just means that we're coming alongside with what's not working for them in that moment. And then we offer our help, our support uh, in getting there. Um, and Children need us to be in the lead with this. Like if, if they are the ones working for that, that attention, that affection, that little five minutes of quality time here or there, uh, then what's going to happen is the brain is going to take charge. The brain's going to go, okay, I'm in charge of this relationship. I'm in charge of having my needs met. Therefore, I will tell you if and when you can tell me what to do, <laughs> or I will tell you when you can, you know, engage me in, in uh, engaging my attachment instincts. Obviously, the child isn't thinking about this. It's not a conscious uh, uh, thought or effort. Uh, it's all happening um, very much uh, subconsciously for children. It's, again, rooted in instincts and emotions. But if we take the lead with that, so give you an example. I know with my seven-year-old, getting on the bus is a nightmare every single morning. If I am not keeping him close to me and well engaged, he will go hide behind the house. And then I'm going to have to try and find him and get him on the bus before the bus leaves. And so if I know this, then it's my responsibility. I take the lead with that. I make sure that I have a plan, a plan A and a plan B, so that I'm not caught up in my own frustration as a parent because my child is not listening and not getting on the bus. And I can come alongside his big feelings. He doesn't like the bus because it's loud. He doesn't like loud noises. Getting on the bus is the worst thing for him. It really sets the stage for a very grumpy mood. <laughs> And, but yet we don't have a choice. We have to get on the bus. So how can I help him do that? How can I anticipate? How can I come alongside? How can I make it into a game? How can I make it fun? How can I engage him? 
and then bridging it and saying, when you come back home from school, you know, I'll be here waiting for you. Uh, we can read your favorite book together. Uh, you can watch uh, some TV uh, and giving him something to hold on to so that what he's facing is not just this big frustration or this big separation. He's actually facing, you know, connection and he's actually holding on to something uh, that he cares about at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So these are all things that we can do uh, to increase uh, our children's receptivity uh, when we have to give them instructions or ask them to do tasks. Or yeah. So what I'm hearing a lot is uh, it's all based on communication, right? So, uh, but how can we encourage our child to communicate their need with us? Yes, that's a good, good question too. Um, I think what we need to do as parents is we need to get comfortable with feelings. Feelings are messy. Feelings are not uh, rainbows and unicorns. They're messy. That's just the reality of feelings, especially uh, children's feelings, because they get big and intense and they go all over the place because they're not regulating those feelings yet. Right. So getting comfortable with big, messy feelings. And again, making room for those big feelings, normalizing them. When I say to my child, I know you don't feel like getting on the bus. I get it. This is frustrating for you. I get your frustration. What I'm doing is I'm creating a safe space for my child to tell me, mom, this is really frustrating for me, right? Uh, But if I want my child to communicate that, first, I have to create that safety within my relationship with him. And we don't need to have necessarily a counseling degree or a psychology degree to do this. It's just about inviting those big, big feelings to be part of the conversation and helping put words to them. Uh, A four-year-old will not know how to describe their frustration. We have to help them put words to that, you know, part of you feels really, really mad when that happens (laughs) and help them put words to that so that eventually they can communicate that back to us. But keep in mind that the brain will allow the child to communicate and express feelings only if it feels safe to do so. Otherwise, we won't go there. And if there's any kind of shyness or you know, if, if maturity isn't quite there yet, it's not, it's not part of the developmental um, sort of progress where the child is at. If we're dealing with a toddler, a preschooler, well, most likely they will really, really struggle with that. So, so they need our help. Um, so making it easy for them to, to depend on us Uh, you know, you can count on me. Yes, your big feelings are okay with me. Um, Because again, keeping in mind that behind every behavior, every refusal, every opposition, every nope, I'm not going to do it, is a need. And more often than none, that need is a need for connection, for proximity. Uh, Or it might be just a big feeling that's kind of getting in the way. And so what we want to do is make sure that our children, if they're not able to communicate that yet, uh, that we are able to help put words to that and make room for that. 
uh, because at the end of the day, what they want from us and need from us the most, again, is that invitation, you know, for, you know, contact and closeness. They want to be like us. They want to belong. They want to feel important. They want to feel loved. Another thing that we often don't think about is play, right? Children learn how to communicate through play. So making sure that they have a lot of opportunities to play freely away from screens, because screen time might be fun, uh, but screen time is not when the brain is actually at play, getting creative and problem solving uh, the world's issues, right? Uh, it's really in true play that we see that happening for children. So making sure they have outlets, that they have moments to play. Uh, that way they get to play out, you know, uh, play out their feelings, play out their frustration, play out what didn't work for them, what didn't work for them that day. And so making sure we give time for play as well. Great. Well, you're speaking to my soul because I'm a speech therapist. So <laughs> when you say give them time to play, I'm like, that is amazing. Yeah. Um, and you know, when they when they can communicate um, their their feelings and stuff, like I'm imagining like that, you know, that feeling start that sometimes you see in like classrooms. Yes. Are those things helpful for children or is it best just to like hold them and be there um, for them? I would say hold them and be there. Uh, and then after the storm has passed, then pull out your chart, pull out your, your, your emojis, pull out your feelings, your colors, uh, and use that to help them put words to what just happened or what happened an hour ago, or even what happened yesterday. Uh, but it's the same for us as adults, uh, as you probably know, right? When we're uh, sort of taken over by an intense feeling, um, our brain can rarely go into problem solving at the same time. It, first, it needs to kind of like, like <laughs> release some of that big feeling and get back to a place of, okay, like I can, I can handle this. I've got this, you know, I'm, I'm in control of myself. Uh, so it's the same for children and even more so for children. Um, there is no uh, rush and no need uh, to press on an agenda of learning something. So it's not about learning a lesson or learning a skill. It's really about feeling safe, feeling comforted, uh, feeling like uh, the behavior is not necessarily uh, hindering the relationship. And then we can definitely use our charts and use our, our our tricks uh, to be able to to help them kind of start making sense of, of their own emotions and feelings. In my house, I have a question for you. In my house, um, when we our kids stop listening, it's when they start playing. And at least, example, it's time to go for dinner. Now I'm understanding. Um, there's we have to change the, the activity, um, and then they get my my son my two sons together get excited and then they have a really close game happening and I can see the sound elevating and I can see it's going to be a problem. And now they're not even hearing me. Even if I, I go, okay, I'm going to play with you guys. And then they hear nothing. So this is where we struggle in my family. Yeah, exactly. And I think if I'm not mistaken, your, your boys are uh, still right now they're young, three right? and five. 
Exactly. So you're in the preschooler stage. <laughs> so the preschooler brain is a whole brain of its own. Uh, it does not respond to adult psychology. Uh, it has a mind of its own too. It's one feeling, one emotion, one thought, one impulse at a time. So if right now the feeling is I'm having fun playing this game, there isn't much else that's going to, uh, uh, you know, um, kind of change that unless you are able to kind of change, change the emotion, change the attention uh, uh, with something that is maybe more interesting or, or valued. Right. Uh, so, and that is challenging. I got to say sometimes what they're doing is way more fun than what mommy wants them to do. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And can we blame them? No, exactly. I totally get it. Right. They feed off each other too. Cause I have two boys as well. So they just feed off each other. They make it like, yeah. So this is where our collecting before directing comes into play here getting in there and, and showing interest in what they're doing. And, you know, just kind of like being curious about what's going on. This looks like so much fun and keep at it until you get eyes looking at you, smile and nod. And now you've got their attachment and attentional system onto you. And then you can say, this looks like so much fun. I think we should play again after dinner. Let's go eat and then we'll come back, right? Mm -hmm. So that's bridging. We said, you know, this isn't the end. There's a return. There's, you know, a continuance here. Um, But essentially, it's trying to engage those attachment instincts so that you are able to direct them and bridge Bridget as well and say, you know, but, and if, if that's not the activity that they can go back to after dinner, uh, remind them of what is after dinner that they will enjoy. And then I look forward to reading a good bedtime story with you, or I look forward to our snuggles, or I look forward to whatever it is that, you, you know, will, will engage them. Yeah, but you're right. It's easier uh, said than done for sure, because we're talking about instincts. Yeah, and instincts, you can't really reason with instincts. Uh, You have to work around them. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Now, I I hear it building attachment, but when they're not listening, is there any type of discipline that would help or should I use to help encourage good listening? Mm -hmm. Well, again, interestingly, in our conventional discipline practices, we would think that if you want your child to listen, then give them a consequence, you know, Uh, punish them for not listening, and they will learn a lesson, and then they should listen. Again, uh, that may work for adult psychology and mature adults, right? So if I'm driving down the highway, and I'm speeding, and I get caught and I get a ticket, I should learn my lesson not to do it again, you would think. (laughs) I cannot guarantee I never uh, did speed after that, however. Uh, So I may have had good intentions and I knew better, but I still did it anyways. So what we have to understand is that given consequences or punishing is not necessarily going to yield good behavior or a different result next time. What it's going to do is stop what's going on in the moment, uh, 
Uh, but the question is at what cost, right? How, how am I hindering my attachment relationship with my child here when I have to use what they care about against them in order to bring them into order? And so there are other ways of doing this. Uh, there are other ways of, um, uh, you know, coming alongside our children's struggles instead of using separation-based discipline, which would be timeouts, right? The good old timeout, uh, or taking what they care about, uh, uh, taking that away from them. Um, so instead, what we can do is help them find their tears about what's not working, right? Mommy said, no, uh, it's time for dinner. Playtime is done. I know you're disappointed. I know you're sad, uh, but it's still no, it's time to go eat dinner. And then you kind of have to invite the inevitable. What's going to happen when we say no? They're going to be disappointed. They're going to yeah. cry or... We're going to get a good old tantrum perhaps, right? And so we invite it. I know you're going to be upset and maybe you'll feel like kicking and screaming. That's okay. You can kick and scream, let it out. It's still time for dinner, right? And so we become what we call an agent of futility. We help them, we help, we help hold them uh, in front of what cannot change, what they're up against and cannot change until there's nothing left to do but cry. And when we do that, we're priming um, another uh, maturation process in the brain called uh, the adaptive process, right? We're helping them adapt to what they're up against and what they cannot change. Now, there are circumstances where we can afford to do this and others where we can't. I definitely would not recommend this when you're at Walmart. Uh, so maybe practice, you know, uh, encounters with futility when you're at home and you have the space and the time to do that. But the more we can help children find their tears or their sadness and disappointment about the things that they cannot change in their lives, the more they will, they will become adaptive and resilient. And that's really uh, helpful when they start school or go to school because at school, they're up against things they cannot change every single day. You got to sit this way. You can't do this. You can't do that. You got to do this this way and not that way. It's not your way. It's my way. You got to listen. You got to wait your turn. There are so many things that they're up against that they cannot change. And so this is the idea. The idea is not to give in and let them get what they want, but the idea is to help them come to emotional terms with what they're up against that they cannot change. So that's one thing we can do. We can also then help them find their opposite feelings too. You know, you know, part of you was really frustrated. You didn't want to stop playing and you said poo-poo face mommy. Uh, but I'm wondering if part of you also loves mommy even when you're saying poo-poo face and you're helping them see that, you know, yes, I'm frustrated, but there's also other feelings like caring. And that will help children uh, when the prefrontal cortex starts activating around ages five to seven, it will help children be able to mix their opposite feelings and develop what we call self-control, right? Impulse control, which is not to say or do everything that we're, we're, we're impulsively thinking about. Uh, so we can, we can do that. 
And uh, there is a rule that, well, it's not a rule, it's um, a golden rule, let's put it like that, that I really love, which is uh, the rule of two yeses for one no. So instead of starting with no, you can't, start with, hmm, yes, I see that, you know, this isn't working for you. And then follow that by another yes, mommy will help you with that, or teacher will help you with that, or grandpa will help you with that. And then you can bring in the no. And then you can say, because remember, when it's time to, to go eat dinner, we have to go eat dinner. Uh, in that way, uh, what we're doing is we're coming alongside the child's feelings, we're helping them, we're supporting them with that, and we're getting them on their way to do what they are expected to do in that moment. Uh, if we start with no, then the counter will instincts come up and yeah, that's when we start like going like this or upping the ante or saying, well, if you don't do it, then this will happen or that will happen. Uh, which is, 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 yeah, this is not the ideal way, but sometimes that's what we do and that's okay. But it's just to understand that uh, it won't necessarily help them learn how to do things differently next time. Beautiful. Now, what do we do if uh, we make a mistake? Like we scream, we yell, we use separation-based discipline. Tell us. <laughs> Go in the bathroom, lock the door, and have a good cry. <laughs> I've done that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, essentially, the thing that we have to remember is as parents, we're not perfect. And that's not the order, anyways. We're not supposed to be perfect. That's not what our kids expect from us. They don't expect us to be perfect. Um, what we can do is be a good example, be a model, and repair that mistake and show our kids that everyone makes mistakes. Oops, mommy said that. It's not what I meant to say. What I meant to say is, and then we say what we should have said instead. And then we bridge it. I'm still your mommy. Uh, you know, I love you to the moon and back. Uh, I really look forward to doing this with you later. And we simply repair it. And when we're doing that, what we're conveying again to our children is that the relationship can handle it. An attachment, because it's a survival instinct, is extremely forgiving, right? We, we forgive, we forget, we move on uh, when we're attached to someone in a secure way. Another thing I can say that we can do for ourselves as parents is uh, accept and invite guilt. Because being a parent means that we will feel guilt. We will feel guilt about saying this thing or doing that thing or not doing it. We will feel guilt about feeling too tired to make a nice home-cooked meal and ordering pizza for the third time this week. Uh, we'll feel guilty about giving them sugary cereals in the morning because we're running out of time. Uh, we'll feel guilty about, you know, not having the energy to play with them after a long day's work. Um, guilt is not the enemy. Uh, it's actually, it can actually be our friend. When we can make room for that, 
this can actually help us continue to want to do better and to repair uh, when we have fallouts uh, and to just, you know, be there and show up and be their answer. Um, what we don't want to do is fall into shame. So it's not about shaming ourselves. We shouldn't feel shame or should not be shamed for making mistakes as parents because everybody makes mistakes. And that's what we want to convey to our kids. It's, it's okay to make mistakes. That's how we learn, right? Uh, and then uh, I was kind of actually serious when I said, go to the bathroom, lock the door and have a good cry. Because sometimes we have uh, to find our own tears about what's not working for us that day, right? It's been a, a crappy day, a uh, bad day. You know, I feel like a bad mom right now. I don't know if you've all seen the movie Bad Moms, but <laughs> so it's a bad mom day. I feel really, really, you know, not good about, you know, the way I handle the situation. It's okay to have a good cry about it because then again, uh, it's the adaptive process and then I can, I can move on. Um, the good news is that uh, when it comes to attachment and when it comes to child-parent relationships, it's never too late. It's never too late for right relationships and it's never too late for soft hearts. And so if we slip from time to time, the good news is that we can always catch that back uh, because what our children need the most from us, um, you know, is, is to be their answer. It's not to have all the answers. Uh, it's impossible to have all the answers as parents. But if they feel like they can count on us and we have their backs, uh, then we've done a pretty good job at the end of the day. Mm, thank you, Geneviève. This episode is going to help a lot of parents, including me and my husband. <laughs> when I told my husband we were recording about this, he's like, oh, fantastic. We actually, ourselves, we find we're in a stage right now, we're a little bit struggling about this. So this is definitely like touching the soft spot. Thank you so much for this. So Geneviève, we can find you on our panel of expert at parenttalk.ca. Where else can we find you? Uh, as a faculty member with the Newfeld Institute, you can find me on the Newfeld Institute website, which is newfeldinstitute.org under, I believe, uh, under clinicians. Okay. Excellent. Well, that concludes today's episode. Becca and I would like to uh, thank you, Geneviève, for taking the time to be here and bring so much value to all of us parents, helping us grow, and of course, trying to be the best parents we can be, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's the good news about being a parent is, you know, we have the wonderful task of helping our children grow up. Uh, but what sometimes we don't realize is that they help us grow up too. Yes, actually they do. <laughs> For our listeners, if you have a question or you would like to join us on our show as a guest or as an expert, please visit the contact us section on our website at parenttalk.ca. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and also on YouTube at Parent Talk TV. Of course, you can always subscribe directly to this podcast on our website at parenttalk.ca. So we hope you enjoyed today's episode with Geneviève and we are inviting you to share it on your social media. As we all know, parenting can be hard sometimes, right? Remember, it's important to laugh, keep learning, cherish your village and be true to yourself. 
and don't hesitate to ask for help, right? <laughs> Thank you for listening and have a great week. Bye. The views and or opinions of the host and their guests are not necessarily those of Parent Talk and should not be considered as fact. The information offered is believed to be accurate but is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be used for diagnosing or treating any health issue or prescribing medication. If you have any questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your child, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare practitioner.